After Vatican II, pretty much everybody knows they changed the liturgy of the Mass. It was called the Novus Ordo, the New Order of the Mass. And that was pretty controversial. A lot of people loved it. A lot of people hated it. And it started a, what are we on now, 60-year coming up on debate, struggle, discussion, dialogue about liturgy, about Vatican II. But one of the other elements in this whole dialogue is that after Vatican II, they changed all seven sacraments. They changed the liturgy for all seven sacraments. I tweeted about this the other day, and I asked the question, I would really like an advocate of the Second Vatican Council, like Bishop Barron, to give a defense, to give an explanation on why it was needed, why was it necessary to change the ritual, to change the liturgy for all seven sacraments. This is a question that we traditionalists need to ask them daily. If you're going to transform the Roman rite, and by the way, it's not just the seven sacraments, it's the breviary, the divine office, which becomes the liturgy of the hours, which actually doesn't even really take much more than an hour to recite. People call it the liturgy of the minutes. The rite of exorcism was changed and weakened. Every exorcist will tell you that. But when it comes to the core, where 99% of Catholics are formed, where they come to meet Jesus Christ, where they come to receive sanctifying grace in their souls, where they come to be filled with the Holy Ghost, the liturgy, the rites, the sacraments, the normative way by which human persons experience Jesus Christ, when it comes to all that, it had to be changed. We need to ask the question, why? Why was that necessary? Imagine, here's an analogy before we pray and we'll jump into it. I have a 1968 Corvette. That would be cool if I had a 1968 Corvette. I take it to the mechanic. And then, wow, nice 1968 Corvette. It's really nice. Classic car. Yeah, it's all mint, all original. You know, matching serial numbers, original chrome, original paint. Wow, man, that's old. That's a, I mean, that's that's a reverend, it's like a traditional vehicle. Yeah, I'm really, you know, we've really worked hard to preserve it, take care of it. So anyway, I just need an oil change so I can continue to enjoy this classic vehicle. And let's say I come back. It'd have to be a couple days, but in this analogy, I come back. Maybe I came back the next day. And they changed everything. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's a different color. Yeah, we painted it. Updated the color. Something a little bit more contemporary. Well, I didn't want you to paint. I want you to change the oil. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at this. People love this color, Marshall. You, you, should, you should thank us for this. Okay, uh, I popped the hood. Did you do the oil change? I let, There's a whole new engine. In my 68 Corvette, where's my engine at? Oh, well, we put in a new engine. It has like computers and stuff. You're going to like it a lot better. It's better for emissions, better for the environment. 
No, no, no. The transmission. You changed the transmission. Yeah, because the engine was changed. We had to change the transmission. So it's actually better now. You're going to like your 68 Corvette better. I look inside. The upholstery, which was all original. Maybe it had a couple cracks in it, some fading. But that's okay because it was original. We put all new upholstery in, Marshall. You'll be glad. You'll be thankful. It's much nicer. There's actually heated and cooling seats in your 68 Corvette. I look at the dash. It's all been ripped out of the original equipment. We put in a new sound system. You got the bass. You got the woofers. Your 68 Corvette is awesome. That's not what I wanted. I wanted an oil change. I didn't want them to change seven parts on my 68 Corvette to play with it in a way to reshape it and to make it in the image of likeness of what modernism says is good and helpful and enjoyable. No, the beauty, the value of the 68 Corvette was that it was all old. That's why it was cool. That's why it was good. And I would have beef with that auto shop who has ruined my 68 Corvette by updating it. Do you see the analogy? At Vatican II, after Vatican II, before Vatican II, Pius XII and then Paul VI employed Annabal Bugnini, very dangerous man, who had already begun to change and update the Holy Week liturgies that went into effect in 1955. This is why you hear me all the time say we got to go back pre-55. The 1962 is not good enough. It's Annabal Bugnini. Every time you do Holy Week in the 1962 Missal, you've invited Annabal Bugnini over for Palm Sunday, Monday Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday. You're like, hey, Annabal Bugnini, come in. I know it's not total Novus Ordo, but it is... The snowball has been rolling since 1955. Why change it? For the sake of novelty? For the sake of what's going on now? What's cool now? I should have had a picture of a 68 Corvette. Everybody go look at a 68 Corvette. It's a cool car. Wish I had one. What would I do with it? I got eight kids. Totally impractical. All right. Let's pray the Our Father in Latin. And I'm going to talk about the seven sacraments in these changes. Orimus nomine patris et fidei et spiritus sancti. Amen. Pater noster, qui es in celi, sanctificetur nomen tuum, et veniat regnum tuum. Fiat voluntas tua, sicut in celo et in terra. Panem nostrum quotidianum da nobis odie, et dimite nobis debita nostra. Sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et nenos in ducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Amen. Nomine Patris, et Fidei, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. So there's debate amongst people about things being older, things being traditional, things being vintage. Um, one of the things I do, I'm not a big collector, but I do collect coins. Do I have them here? Had them out. Where'd they go? No, they're, oh, they're way back over there in the, in the brown binder by that mirror. Those are my papal coins. I collect coins from the papal states. 
and it's super cool. It's great to show my kids. These are coins that go back. I have some for, that go to Pius the Ninth. I got some before that. I got some that go, I think my oldest one is from the 1300. These are coins that were used in the papal states. Just a cool thing. I like it. But in the coin collecting world, if you have a really important coin, traditional coin, they have a sort of vintage patina to them. If you take that coin, let's say it's a silver coin, and you get silver polish and you polish it and make it look really shiny and show it to someone, they're going to be like, oh my goodness, you ruined the coin. If you take something vintage and you spruce it up, you ruin it. That coin for a collector is not worth as much now that you got silver polish and you shined it up. The same thing is true in the watch world. If you collect watches or into watches or study watches, if you have a vintage watch like a Rolex Submariner, early 60s or something like that, it might have some dings on it, probably does some scratches, crystal might be scratched, stuff like that. But if you go in and you update the crystal and you change the hands and you change the face and you polish it, you have just reduced the value of that vintage watch. People would say you've ruined it. You have scrubbed away its value. People would rather have a little gash on the lugs of the watch than they would for you to go grind it off and shine it and replace all the parts. And, and we have to ask ourselves, if this is how people in the collecting world see it, wh what is the principle here of value? The principle is, is, is a coin, a watch, a car. Its connection in its journey from, from its origin in the past to this present day, that there should be a continuum there. And that's what gives value to the coin, the watch, or the car. Watches, cars are mechanical. They do need servicing. They do break down. But the fact that there's this continuity there, for example, that the paint, it might be a little faded. It might be cracked in places. But the fact that it's original, that it has the continuity from its origin until this very day brings great value to that car. Or if you had a, like I said, like a Submariner, and maybe the face, it was black, but now it's kind of, it's sort of patinaed and it's more chocolate brown, that's actually a good thing to people because it shows a natural time-honored continuum with the past. For some reason, in the 50s, beginning especially in 1955, and then culminating in 1971, 69, 70, 71, there was the idea Led by the influence of Protestants, here's the famous seven, or six Protestant observers, advisors at Vatican II, there with Paul VI. My question is, why are they there? There was the idea, and you can read Sacro Sanctum Concilium, which is the document of Vatican II on the sacred liturgy. Read the first well, two, it's either two or three paragraphs. It's probably just the first two. It says it, that we want to, Update the liturgy for our modern times. We want to take this beautiful silver coin, this papal coin, and we're going to grind it and we're going to polish it and we're going to remove that patina 
and bring it up to modern standards. But they're erasing the value. If any of you are into coins, watches, cars, I'm sure it applies to a whole bunch of other things. Books as well. You understand what I'm talking about. But there's a theological question as well. You know, right now, Francis is cracking down through Traditionis Custodis on the traditional Latin Mass, the traditional Latin Mass orders, and the traditional sacraments. You know, Traditionis Custodis has a lot to say about the Roman Rituale, the Pontificale. Um, it seems that the traditional form of ordination and of confirmation, sacrament of confirmation, are suppressed. You got Cardinal Supic suppressing things. You have other places. Sadly, I've heard from people who had diocesan Latin masses and they're gone now. Very sad. Our question for these persecutors of the traditional rituals and sacraments is, is the new one better? Why did you have to get rid of the old one? And are the new ones better? And are the old ones bad or worse? It seems, remember I talked about the other day, acta non verba, actions, not words. It's always best when you're doing business or you're getting married or you're dealing with anyone to go by acta non verba, actions, not words. Acta non verba. Their actions say to you and me, this old liturgies for the seven sacraments, and I'll talk about baptism in just a moment, but these old liturgies of the seven sacraments are bad, are dangerous. We're taking them away from you. It's like you're playing with scissors or a knife or matches. We don't like that. It makes us feel uncomfortable. We're going to take that away. We're going to give you the new stuff. We're going to give you the, the rubberized, safe, plastic versions. They don't want us to have it. And what is octa non verba here? The actions say the old rituals, the old liturgy of the sacraments, the old exorcism. Oh, by the way, Jesse Romero announced the bishops pulled out of that exorcism thing in Arizona. Don't even get me started. But these old things, the actions say that they're not as good. They're bad. What we need are the new ones. And that's an indictment on sacred tradition. It's an indictment on hundreds of popes who have gone before us. It's an indictment on saints who were nurtured in the true faith through the liturgy of these seven sacraments. You know, it's not just about liturgy, it's about theology. The liturgy expresses a theology. And if Francis and Cardinal Supic and modernists say, don't do the traditional rites, do the Novus Ordo rites, and they began to create canonical punishments and censures to enforce that. Octa non verba. They are saying the new rite is better, the old is not. 
traditionalists like myself say this. The older is better. The newer is worse. Why? Because the new, newer leans, teeters, and walks towards Protestantism. Compare the offertory in your 1962 missile to the offertory in the Novus Ordo and tell me there's not a theological change there. There most certainly is. There most certainly is. Let's look at baptism. On Twitter today, I posted a video. It's 10 years old. I can't believe it's 10 years old. I posted it on YouTube 10 years ago. It's the baptism of one of my sons in the traditional Roman rite. So if you've never seen a traditional baptism, you've only seen the Novus Ordo version, I would encourage you to go to YouTube and just type in the search bar, Taylor Marshall Latin Baptism. It'll come up. It's probably the first one. Or if you're on Twitter, you can just look at today, a couple hours ago on my uh, Twitter profile, which is Taylor R. Marshall, and you can click on it there and you can watch it. You'll see the traditional Roman rite, and it begins outside the church. Why? Because the child is born outside the Garden of Eden. The child is born in original sin. The child is born outside of grace, outside of Eden, outside of fellowship with God. That's the traditional theology. People find that offensive. Well, the babies. No, this is the traditional Catholic theology. Begins outside and the priest says, in the English, what dost thou ask of the church of God? And the godparents say, faith. Priest, what does faith bring to thee? Godparent, life everlasting. Priest, if then thou desirest to enter into life, keep the commandments. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart and with thy whole soul and with thy whole mind and thy neighbor as thyself. And then the priest breathes three times on the baby in the form of the cross like this. Three times. And the priest says, go out of him, or if a girl, go out of her, thou unclean spirit and give place to the Holy Ghost, the paraclete. So the whole thing begins with driving out the unclean spirit. People who have never seen a traditional baptism, how people were baptized in the Roman rite for centuries, over a millennium, are shocked at this. He then makes the sign of the cross on the forehead. He says, receive the sign of the cross, both upon thy forehead and upon thy heart. Take unto thee the faith of the heavenly precepts, and so order thy life as to be from henceforth the temple of God. This is actually the ancient catechumen rite, which is placed at the beginning of the baptismal rite. Um, the priest imposes his hands on the child and says, Drive from thy servant, O Lord, all blindness of heart. Break all the bonds of Satan by which he was tied and signed with thy sign of thy wisdom. He may be preserved from the infection of vices. Strong language. Again, driving away Satan. Then there's another exorcism. This is not the Novus Ordo version. It's different, different theology. The priest says, as he makes the sign of the cross three times over the baby, 
I exercise thee, unclean spirit, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, that thou go forth and depart from this servant of God, inserts the name, for he who commands thee a cursed spirit is he who walked upon the sea and stretched forth his right hand to Peter as he sank. <clears throat> Therefore, a cursed spirit, acknowledge thy sentence, give honor to the true and living God, to his son Jesus Christ, and to the Holy Ghost, by withdrawing from this servant of God, insert name. This is pretty serious stuff, isn't it? If you are having a baby, young people, make sure your baby receives this traditional Roman baptism, not the Novus Ordo. This is your baby. Give your baby the best. Make sure your baby starts off with the best. Now, I have eight kids. Only th the last three were the only ones who received this ancient ritual. Sadly, the other, other ones are validly baptized, but they didn't receive all these extra prayers, all these extra blessings, all these extra sacramentals, and all these extra exorcisms. He makes a sign of the cross again. He imposes hands. And then the priest gives his stole to the baby, the godparent holds it, and leads them into the church. See, there's a progression of sanctification for this child. Now the child has been exercised, hands laid on, they've put salt on the baby's tongue to sanctify the baby's tongue. Why? Why do you need to sanctify the baby's tongue? Because that tongue's going to receive the Eucharist one day. But if you got the Novus Ordo baptism, you didn't get that. They took that out, just like they took all that other cool stuff out of my 68 Corvette, in my analogy. Don't appreciate it. So the priest gives the stole, and he uses the stole to drag the baby into the church. It's like the baby's water skiing with the stole into the church. Again, you can go on YouTube, Taylor Marshall Latin Mass Baptism, and you'll see uh, one of my children being baptized this way. Then there's the creed in the Our Father, and then another exorcism of the baby. This is called the solemn exercise, exorcism, exercise, the solemn exorcism. The priest makes the sign of the cross three times over the baby, saying, I exercise thee, unclean spirit, in the name of God the Father Almighty, in the name of Jesus Christ his Son, in the power of the Holy Ghost, that thou depart from this creature of God, insert name, whom the Lord has vouchsafed to call to his holy temple, that he may become the temple of the living God, and that the Holy Ghost may dwell in him through the same Christ our Lord, who shall come to judge the living and the dead and the world by fire. Then the priest takes spit from his mouth. Yes, you heard me correct. Spittle, like this. And he touches the ears and nostrils of the baby, as our Lord did when he healed the deaf and dumb, copying Jesus Christ from the Gospels. And he says, Ephthata, that is, be opened for an odor of sweetness. Then there's the renunciation of Satan. Name, insert name, dost thou renounce Satan? I do renounce him. In all his works, I do renounce them. In all his palms, I do renounce them. Then he anoints the child on the breast and on the back 
between the shoulders. I anoint thee with the oil of salvation in Christ Jesus our Lord, that thou mayest have life everlasting. And then there's a profession of faith. Do you believe, basically, I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's a little bit longer. Do you believe in God the Father? Do you believe in God the Son? Do you believe in God the Holy Ghost and the church and the life everlasting? And each time, I do believe. And then he says, name, wilt thou be baptized? God, Father, I will. And then he says the sacred formula for baptism. Then he anoints the child with chrism, presents the child with a white gown, a white cloth, gives a lighted candle to the child. I think it's always cool if the priest gives the candle first to the baby. Sometimes the baby will actually grab the base of the candle and then to the godfather. And then the parting words. That's a traditional baptism. That was gutted. That was changed. That was reformed after Vatican II. Why? Looks great to me. I like it. That's what I want for my kids. And that's what I want for your kids, for all kids. I could now turn the page and go to confirmation, which also is different. Different prayers and Paul VI even changed the form. You know, sacraments have form and matter. Paul VI changed the form of confirmation and he removed the alapa. And if you were confirmed before... I'm guessing 1971 or 1970. When you were confirmed, the bishop gave you a little confirmation slap on the cheek. Which was to tell you, you're now a soldier for Jesus Christ. You're now in the world representing Jesus Christ and people are going to persecute you. You have to learn to be patient, to turn the other cheek to take abuse for Jesus Christ. Guess what? After Vatican II, they deleted that. We don't need that. That's weird. That's medieval. What? Now, the bishop maybe gives the person a handshake. Hmm. Congratulations on confirmation. What? It was much better to get the confirmation alapa. How many of you Leave it in the comments. I want to hear from you. In the comments or in the live chat right now, how many of you were, were confirmed in the good old days or maybe in one of these traditional communities, Fraternity of St. Peter Institute, Society of St. Pius X, you received confirmation the old way and you got the confirmation alapa. Let me know. How many of you? Yes, I'm seeing them right now in the live chat. I got the slap. Very good. Very good. And then you go to the Eucharist. I've talked about the Latin Mass on and on. They changed a ton in the traditional Mass. A ton. Side by side. Different. People say, well, what if we just had smells and we had bells and we had pretty altars and pretty vestments and an altar rail and we just did the Novus Ordo that way? Would you be happy, Taylor? No. It's a different liturgy. I don't care if you say the Novus Ordo in Latin. It is less prayers different rubrics. It's different. It is inferior. I know it's going to upset people that I said that. It is an inferior ritual and inferior liturgy. Why? Less prayers, less blessings, and less projection 
of the mystery of transubstantiation and the mystery of Eucharistic sacrifice. Both are diminished in the Novus Ordo. Even if you did a unicorn Novus Ordo, both are not as loud, as bright, as strong as they are in the traditional Latin Mass. Good. People said they're getting the slap. I got the slap in 1964. I got slapped by Cardinal Burke. Good. <laughs> Very good. People saying, I wish I had got the slap. I saw Bishop Fillet doing the slap last year. Good. 1957 confirmation, a soldier for Christ. Good. See? Yes, I was slapped. So people remember the old ways. Talk about extreme unction. I don't have time to go through extreme unction. Totally different. I mean, you could take the old extreme unction right and put it on one column on a document and then take the Novus Ordo extreme unction and put it in a column and then don't put anything at the top of the columns. Hand it to a anthropologist or some secular person and say, look at these two things. I know they're similar, but are they the same religion? I, I think a lot of them would be like, no, these are two different understanding of what's going on here in death. Definitely different in the way anointings are done. Definitely different in the prayers. Extreme unction radically changed. Holy orders, especially when it comes to the consecration of a bishop, radically changed in 1969. Very problematic. Why? Why, why would you fiddle and mess with something that regards apostolic succession. We've been using the same prayer for consecrating a bishop for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, the same one, over and over and over. And like, you know what? Forget that. Let's do a new one. Who's with me? Yeah, let's do a new one. Why? Was the old one broken? Was the old one bad? Did the old one not work? What sacraments have I missed? Baptism, confirmation, Eucharist, penance. Penance is different. When you go and get traditional confession, traditional penance, in the absolution, he removes ecclesiastical censures from you. So, for example, abortion brings a late sententiae excommunication upon you. So when you when someone has an abortion or assists in an abortion, there is the mortal sin of abortion, and there is the excommunication. You need absolution for the mortal sin, and you need the remittal of the ecclesiastical penalty. That's traditional Catholic moral teaching. The Novus Ordo one makes the lifting of the ecclesiastical censure optional. The old way always had it. So what if you have a priest who doesn't know that, or he's lazy and he's in a hurry, and you have a sin that has an ecclesiastical censure attached to it, and he doesn't lift it? It's not your fault. But again, that's inferior. That's not as good. It's like going into surgery and not having the right tools. Or someone saying, yeah, we got sharp scalpels and we got dull scalpels. Let's try dull scalpels in surgery. Why? If you've already got the right tool that's been working for centuries, we know it works. You know, we evangelized South America with these tools. We evangelized 
large areas of Africa, the Philippines, sections of Asia. And it's like, well, we're going to change the tools now. All right. Baptism, confirmation, Eucharist, penance, extreme unction. I talked about holy orders and then matrimony. Matrimony is radically different. If you're a young person, get married in the traditional matrimony rite. And there's two parts to it. There's the betrothal rite, which you should do when you get engaged. You should actually get betrothed and a traditional priest will betroth you. You should get betrothed. That's the traditional way. Just like Mary and Joseph were betrothed. There's a ritual for it. And then get the traditional nuptial mass with all the blessings and all that. You know, it's interesting. I'll close up here in a little bit. But what's interesting is in the traditional liturgy, unless you're an altar server, like an altar boy, and there are no altar girls, unless you're a server, lay people are not up there past the altar rail in the liturgy. That's no, that's a no-go. I've heard that in pontifical, I might be wrong on this. There's some, probably some good liturgy people out there who know a lot better than me, and I defer to them. But I've heard that before Vatican II, the only person who could be seated with the cl clergy in proximity to the altar, and I don't know if he was inside or outside the altar rail, I don't know this, was the Holy Roman Emperor. Okay, so the Holy Roman Emperor could maybe get seating that was proximate to the altar. And again, I might be wrong on this. I defer to all you guys that know liturgy more than me. But the only time in your life as a layman that you were invited past the rail was on the day of your matrimony, the day of your marriage. It was a special day that you got to, because you're in a sacrament. The, the husband and the wife are conferring a sacrament on each other. And what it's doing is it's saying, this man, this woman, who were once born in original sin, but are sanctified by grace and coming together in the holy sacrament of matrimony, they are re-entering into the Garden of Eden. They are entering back into the sanctuary. They get to step in close with the priest to the altar. That's a beautiful thing. But you know, Novus Ordo decided we don't need that. We, all this beautiful, cool tradition and symbolism and prayers. and Who needs that? It's the modern world. We have telephones and television and JFK. And we're going to space. And we got Apollo 11. And we got all these cool things happening. So obviously we have to redo the entire liturgy, the entire divine office, the exorcism. I mean, let's go ahead and redo canon law. Let's redo everything. Oh, and Pope Paul VI, I'm going to go ahead and take off the papal tiara, put that on the altar. We're going to get rid of that. We're going to get rid of maniples. We're going to get rid of minor orders. We're going to get rid of everything. Reboot. And guess what happened? For 50 years now. Decline. Priestly vocations, down. Religious vocations for nuns and sisters, down. Baptisms in Christian places in the West, down. Yeah, but Taylor, that was just because of like societal changes and stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we've had Protestant reformations. We've had uh, the Black Death, the plague, 
Um, we had Attila the Hun storm in. Uh, we had all kinds of major crises in the history of Catholicism. The Napoleonic Wars. New continents being evangelized. Entire continents being evangelized. Never were the popes like, well, gee, I mean, we got a new continent being evangelized here. Or we got the Black Death. We should change extreme unction. Update it for this time. No, they never did that. With economic crises and political crises and wars and plagues and Protestant reformations and heresies, they didn't rewrite the seven sacraments. So now, part of your traditional posture is to be kind and charitable. And when people dog tradition, or they talk about how awesome the Novus Ordo is, and this and that, or why you shouldn't go to Latin Mass, or Latin Mass is schismatic, or, oh, that's a conspiracy theory, or just get with the program, or Francis is the Pope, so just do whatever he says. By the way, I was thinking about this this morning. Someone asks him about sodomy. Who am I to judge, he says. But yet, when it comes to certain medical injections, or when it comes to the Latin Mass, he's pretty judgy about it. Talks about moral obligations when it comes to these things. It's just part of the constant contradiction and hypocrisy flowing, spewing from Rome. But we traditional Catholics... We Catholics, we Roman Catholics, we should be kind, we should be charitable, we should be welcoming. You should be the kindest, most smilingest, most welcoming, most here's a cup of coffee, here's the red book, Catholic in your traditional Latin Mass parish. Yes, you're going to see people come in to Mass not dressed properly. Yes. Yes, you're going to see women not dressed modestly. Yes. Yes, you're going to see guys in a concert t-shirt and shorts perhaps come in. Be kind. Welcome them. Invite them. They're going to figure it out. Trust me. The first thing women do when they enter into any context is check out what everybody's wearing and compare it to what they're wearing. They get it. If they keep coming back, they're going to figure it out. You don't need to be the Inquisition. You as a lay person need to be the welcomer. Let the priests handle that from the pulpit and from the announcements and print it in the bulletin and mention it every once in a while in a sermon about don't eat food in mass. Please dress modestly. Please wear your Sunday best. And when people come after us for living this life, you can say, well, I mean, why'd they have to change all seven sacraments? I never understood that. What? Tell me, why'd they change all seven sacraments? Well, um, um, well, um, the old ones weren't as good. Oh, really? The old ones weren't as good. Or, well, it's a modern time. That means every time we have some sort of cultural change, we're going to rewrite all seven sacraments. That's going to get really confusing over the next hundred years. TP, I'm a TLM guy and I'm a jerk. Don't be a jerk. Nobody likes a jerk. There's nothing sanctifying about being a jerk. Be kind. Be kind.
Yes. Thank you for mentioning this. Hannah says, love these people like Jesus would welcome them. They came to the right place. Exactly. You wouldn't believe how many people are terrified of going to Latin Mass because they're not going to know what to do. They're going to sit at the wrong time, stand at the wrong time, wear the wrong thing. Women are terrified about the whole veil. Do I have to wear a veil? Oh my goodness, I'm not married. Should I wear a white one? Should I wear a black one? I am married. Should I wear a white one or a black one? Um, can I wear a scarf? All these questions are just through their mind. Let's be patient and welcome them in. And another thing is, if you're listening to this right now and you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't get my kids baptized traditional. I didn't get traditional confirmation. I didn't get traditional betrothal and traditional matrimony. Um, I was taught this. I was taught communion on the hand. Take a deep breath. And I'm going to tell you something that's going to bring you great comfort. It is not your fault. It's not your fault that a bunch of scholars hung out with a bunch of Protestants in Rome and decided to remix everything. When you were seven years old, there was no moral obligation on you to research about communion on the hand in the Novus Ordo. You were a seven or eight year old who were told something, maybe correct, maybe incorrect. It's not your fault. People were born into this. People were raised in this. I was Protestant. I was a Protestant minister. I was an Episcopalian priest. When I came into the Catholic Church, first couple years, all Novus Ordo. It takes time. And if that first year I'd come into the church and was going to Novus Ordo, and a trad threw a brick in my teeth over something I did wrong, that wouldn't have been good. I honestly had no idea. And if you've been blessed to be the older brother and to have had the tradition, traditional preaching, traditional catechism, traditional sacraments for the past 20, 30 years, realize that people coming in many ways have no clue. But it's also amazing how quickly they learn and they desire and they change and conform their lives to Christ in the church according to sacred tradition. Be patient, be kind, and let's just start asking the question, why did we need to make the sacraments more Protestant, more updated? Why did my 1968 Corvette need heated seats and a new engine and to be painted a dull gray when it was cherry red? Why? Let's pray the Hail Mary together in Latin. Oremus. Nomini Patris et Fidi et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena. Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, or per nobis peccatoribus, nunc et ador mortis nostre. Amen. Nomini Patris et Fidi et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Thanks for watching, friends. Always good to be with you. And if you like this video, please give it a thumbs up. Boom and share it on Facebook. And please subscribe if you're new. When you subscribe, when you're on YouTube, you'll be notified, hey, Dr. Taylor Marshall, 
He's going live in five minutes. Jump on. You can always, if you don't like the topic, you can skip it. But if it's something good like this one, jump on and you'll get great Catholic content. What I want to do is I want to give you biblical, traditional, magisterial Catholicism. But I also want to give you to the best of my ability, and I'm a sinner, and I'm not perfect, and I make mistakes, and I say things that are incorrect, and I try to correct myself, but to the best of my ability to give you advice on how we're going to live as Catholics during this time period. That's my goal. So if you like that, please subscribe, hit the subscription button, and hit the bell so that you'll be notified. Um, also, a special thank you to everyone who supports my work here on the podcast and in my writing. I am writing right now a new book. I think you'll all be very excited to hear about that. And I'm very thankful to my patrons, my generous patrons, who support this show and support my work. And if you'd like to be a patron, a generous patron of what I'm trying to accomplish here and helping people in Catholic tradition, faith, you can go to patreon.com forward slash DR Taylor Marshall. I'll also send you signed books. There are different levels there of support. Send you signed books, merch, online classes. There's all kind of cool stuff on there. Join our patron community, patreon.com forward slash DR Taylor Marshall. Also want to remind everyone, especially the new people, pray the rosary every day. If you don't pray the rosary, you're not on the team. This is just part of traditional devotion. Families pray the rosary together. There's popes, there's saints who tell you to do this. It's not me. If you want to see all those quotes, by the way, I have a book called Rosary in 50 Pages. I give you all these amazing quotes from the popes and the saints about why you should pray the rosary every day and why you should pray the rosary as a family. If you're not doing it, you need to. Let's just get on the rosary train, rattle the beads, pray the rosary every single day. Yes, quotidia, every single day. Quotidianum. Oh, let's see. What else do I want to say? Oh, if you want to find a traditional community, you want to sell your house and buy a house somewhere else, come to a place like Texas where I live and have a traditional Latin mass parish and community and friends and, yes, traditional sacraments, then I would encourage you to contact Real Estate for Life at realestateforlife.org, not .com, .org, and tell them Dr. Taylor Marshall sent you. You heard about it on this podcast. They'll help connect you with a real estate agent in your town or where you want to go to make that transition possible. We call it the Great Catholic Migration. Highly recommend. All right. That's good. Um, I'll probably be doing a Q&A, and I've been doing Q&As over at Instagram. So you can follow me at Instagram at DRTaylorMarshall. That's my handle at Instagram. I get on sometimes while Joy's making dinner um, on the back porch when I'm just hanging out. Sometimes I'm with some of the kids or the dogs or whatever, and I do some Q&A. So if you want to be part of those Q&A, go over your Instagram app, look for me, DRTaylorMarshall, and follow me, and then you'll be notified when I do the live Q&A. All right. And remember, our Lord Jesus Christ says you're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. God bless you and Godspeed.